All right, good morning, New Life East. You can take a seat. So good to see all of you. I just want to let you guys hear this, that we are happy that you are here. God is happy that you are here. He is smiling upon you. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. And a couple things, I want to give you uh, three things, actually. I want to give you a heads up about as we uh, open the scriptures here this morning. One, uh, you can hear my voice is a little weird this morning. Um, Believe it or not, I am 30 years old. I have, like, gone through full, you know, development. My vocal cords do work. But if they crack this morning, grace for me. Two, and these two are far more important, Uh, You guys know that we are in the season of Easter, so we are coming up on uh, a big weekend for us at the church. Uh, One, we have Good Friday services on Good Friday. Those are going to be right here at Grand Peak Academy. We're going to have one of those at 630. We'd love for you to come spend time with us. It's a family service. That means that we're in here with our kiddos as well. And let me just tell you guys this. For those of you who are parents who have kids and the idea of sitting through an hour-long service with your children makes you break out in hives a little bit. We're all going to be in here. And if your kids are loud and ruckus and crazy and destroy this room, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be okay. Good Friday service at 630. And then Easter Sunday, 9 and 11, regular times. It's going to be a great celebration morning. We hope to see you there. Good? Good. Okay. Half of you are with me. That's a better start than normal. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We have been in a series all through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to bring that in for a landing as we head into Easter season. Um, But today we're going to start right at the top of chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, Jesus speaks these words. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Strong start. For in the same way you judge others... You will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then Jesus ends with these peculiar words. He says, do not give... Dogs, what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. God, we, um, God, we're filled with joy when we get to gather with our brothers and sisters and our friends and our family and focus, focus on you for just a little bit. God, we're filled with joy to see people that we love and that we care about. There's nothing better knowing that people see us and are excited to see us. But what we know to be true, God, is that you, you feel that same joy when you look at us. That you do not look at us with judgment or bitterness or anger, but you look at us with pleasure and happiness and goodness. So God, would you fill us with a sense of that as we read and as we study and as we embrace the challenging words of your son, Jesus. We ask that you would meet with us in this space, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that we would have a tangible awareness that you are with us, that you are speaking to us, that you're challenging us, that you're convicting us, that ultimately you are forming us into the very people that you want us to become. We ask all of these things, knowing that you can do them. We pray them in faith 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. I have some hot tea up here this morning. I'm going to drink from this every so often. Thank you to the people who set up the volunteer room and put out hot tea. Now, Jesus is pretty like straightforward in this text. He is warning us against what it looks like to live judgmentally. He's pretty straightforward. There there are some parts of this text that are challenging and a little confusing that we can work through. But I think we get an overall sense of what he is asking of us, to not be the people who are overly critical, to not be the people who are overly judgmental in the society in which we live. And I think he does that for a couple of reasons. First, I think Jesus is aware that judgment puts you in a position of power that you are unqualified for. Judgment puts you in a position of power that you are unqualified for. By a show of hands, is anyone in here a judge? Okay. So we're starting off on the same playing field here. Listen, in the world uh, of Jesus, in the ancient Hebrew world, um, a judge, as much as it is right now, is a legal word. So best case scenario, when we become judgmental people, we are impersonating a career and a vocation that none of us possess. Am I right? None of us have been given the authority. None of us have been given the gifting. None of us have been given the qualifications or the title to begin to judge people. I think about the Jewish court system that, Jewish found, that Jesus found himself in. There were three sort of tiers of judges, and the court system was made up entirely of judges. So at the top, you had the Sanhedrin, which was made up of, of about 71 judges who held all of the power in the space. There was a second tier of judges. These are the judges who dealt with um, what they would consider less important cases, but these were the capital punishment cases. When people would violate one of the Old Testament laws that would require someone to be put to death, this group of 23 people looked specifically at these cases. And then there's a lower set of judges who handle all of the sort of civil and petty disputes people are mad about. They stole my donkey. They looked at my spouse wrong. They ate fish. They had a beard that was too long, those sorts of things. People bringing trials against one another. And in the Jewish court system, the judge held all the power. And I don't just mean that like metaphorically or sort of hyperbolically. The judge had all the power. In the Jewish court system, there was no jury for you to present your case to. You weren't being brought before a group of 12 peers or 15 peers and being told, present your case and we'll see what happens. It's just a judge. There weren't lawyers to represent you. There wasn't someone going on your behalf saying, hey, look, he's, he's not as bad as he seems. I know what you think he is, but let me present the whole picture. That's not happening. The judge in Jesus's day holds a lot of power, holds all the power for the physical world in which people find themselves in. They could send someone to, to prison. They could send someone to, to death. They held all of the power in Jesus's day. So when we step into a life of judgment, Worst case scenario, we are taking on a role and embracing something that you and I are just not meant to embrace. We're not judges. We haven't been given that authority in the world in which we find ourselves. But the word judge in the Bible holds more than just like physical world implications. It holds eschatological implications or it holds the end of all things implications. 
right? Many people, when you ask them what they think about God or what they think God thinks about them, what begins to show up in their mind is the idea that, well, at some point in my life, God is not just going to judge me, but he is actively judging all of my behaviors and actions. He is evaluating everything that I do and that one day there will be two lines at the end of all things. One of them will go to a place that's beautiful and gold and lovely, and the others will go to a place that's not so beautiful and not so gold and a little bit warm. This is the picture that people have. And there's some truth to that. In the scriptures, you see a picture of a God who, who judges, who evaluates, who is clearly thinking about what is right, what is wrong, weighing the outcomes of things. But there's some interesting things when you think about judgment in the scriptures. The first is that most of the time, when people come in contact with this God of the universe, God is not the one that extends judgment. In fact, Carrie just read these scriptures, but I'm going to read them Again, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Hear these words again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is having a trippy vision here. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now catch what happens in this. Isaiah comes face to face with this God that many of us have been taught and believe is just a strictly judgmental God. And yet this God that he comes in contact with never says anything to him. What happens is Isaiah gets close enough to this God who is good and holy and loving and righteous. And Isaiah begins to do what? Judge himself. Isaiah gets one glimpse of God and Isaiah is the one that's casting judgment upon himself. Isaiah is the one who is going... I have unclean lips. I live with people who have unclean lips. We've fallen short. God, we are surely in the wrong. So the idea that what God is doing is sort of floating around the universe, casting judgment upon everyone is not totally true. What is true is that we as humans have these moments where we come face to face with God and conviction sets in. An awareness of who we really are begins to present itself. Now, there are plenty of moments where God is judgmental, where God casts his judgment onto human beings, but He judges differently than you and I judge. I think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For no one can lay foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but catch this, but yet will be what? Saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So catch the picture that Paul is laying out here. He's saying the humans will go through our lives, we'll build our lives on all sorts of things, we'll create structures that we can exist upon, He says, quite literally, some of us will build it on the foundation of finances. It will be built on the foundation of material possessions. It will be built on tangible things. And yet, what this God will do as he presses into us with love, he can't help 
but burn away the things that were never supposed to be there in the first place. So God's judgment in Paul's vision looks like a fire coming close, but the fire doesn't burn the person. It burns all of the things that are, we are holding on to. It begins to eradicate them because they're burned, but they are not lost. They're in fact, what? Saved. So a clear picture of God's judgment is that he's not interested in coming close to us so that he can sort of like get you to decide where you belong. What he does is as he draws close to us, we are given the ability to recognize the places we've fallen short. And as he presses into us, he begins to eradicate all of the things that were never supposed to be there in the first place. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Rory, have you like looked into the world in which we live though? Like, don't we need, we need a little bit of like judgment going on. We need somebody to show up, to stand in places, to show up to our work, to stand in our homes, to go to those school board meetings, and we need to tell people what they're getting wrong. Can I tell you something about judgment that Jesus recognizes that's truly terrifying? Is that judgment is the shortest path to self-righteousness. The shortest path, not the only path, it's the shortest path. If you want to find yourself in a place of self-righteousness, man, living judgmentally is a really easy way to do it. Think about these words that Jesus said. We just read them. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And then he throws these harsh words out. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That word hypocrite is a Greek word that they used for someone who is an actor. You are pretending to be someone that you're not. Every time we step into a place of judgment, what we're doing is pretending that our lives look really good, that our lives are in perfect condition. And the people that we are talking to, the people we're casting judgment upon, well, their lives could just never measure up to the lives that we live. I mean, look at me, I'm perfect, I'm getting everything right. And you, you're falling to pieces. Now, there's a difference here that I think needs to be recognized because I think every time I talk with people about judgment or what it looks like to live judgmentally, we get caught up in something. And it's the difference between observations and judgments. Those are two very distinct things. For example, an observation It simply says this, I am noticing something about someone that might mean something, okay? Having observations are not bad things. If you notice that your oldest child is not very responsible, it's okay to go, you know what? We might wait a little bit until we let him watch the other children in our house. It's not judgment. It's an observation. If you notice that someone who lives near you is maybe not the safest person for your children to be around, it's not a judgment. It's an observation. You're noticing something about someone that might mean something, and you live and you act accordingly. Now, the difference between an observation and a judgment is that a judgment says, I have noticed something, it's wrong, and they are less than me, and I'm superior because of it. An observation is just taking note of what is going on in the room. I have a lot of observations about people in this nine o'clock hour. They're not judgments, I don't think. We'll leave that between me and the Lord. There's a difference between saying, I recognize something about someone that might mean something, 
versus saying, I recognize something about this person. It's wrong. And because it's wrong, I am now better than them. But judgment for us quickly becomes the shortest path to self-righteousness. And can I tell you something? If there's one thing that Jesus railed on more than anything in the scriptures, it's what? It's self-righteousness. It's when he looks at the Pharisees and he sees the way that he's, they're treating the people who are lower than them. Jesus has a lot of criticism to pour out on them. Jesus tells stories constantly about people who set themselves up as religiously superior to others and yet behind closed doors are living lives that are fractured, dysfunctional, sinful, and broken. Jesus is constantly railing against the, the posture and the presentation of self-righteousness. And what's the metaphor that he uses? He says, you're walking around with a plank in your eye trying to get a speck of sawdust out of someone else's eye. You have become as messed up, if not worse, than the people that you're criticizing. Now, we miss the metaphor that Jesus is using here, mostly because that word plank or that word log in some translations is not probably translated in a way that makes a ton of sense to us. Like a log is a big thing. And if someone had that in their eye, it would certainly be strange. Someone having a speck of sawdust in their eye is not as strange, but strange nonetheless. The word log that Jesus uses there is actually maybe more equivalent to something like this, like a stud in a house. And all the dads in the room want to make a joke about how when they're in the house, there's a stud in the house, whatever. Think about what would happen if you literally were walking around with this in your eye. All of you remember the last time I did a sermon illustration, hit Colin. We might be getting pretty close to the same thing. But think about it. You're walking around with a thing like this in your eye. Now let's notice a couple of things about this. What happens, everyone gets a little more nervous, I get it. What happens if you're walking around like this all day long? Constant judgment, constant criticism. One, you look stupid. But two, I'm not like a weak person, but this is already getting awkwardly heavy. Which is to reveal a bit of a truth about what Jesus is getting at here. That if you choose to walk around all day long holding up judgment against everyone else, you're going to be in a lot of pain before long. You yourself are going to be tired. You're going to end up giving the worst version of yourself to all the people that you can because you're, it is exhausting to be this judgmental, to carry this around. Can I tell you the other thing that should be noticed about this? If I'm walking around like this all day long and I finally see someone that I think is worth being critical of, you know what happens? You guys all heard that, right? He wasn't prepared for that. He's also armed, so this is probably not the best idea I've ever had. Oh, you really thought spending money that way was a good idea, didn't you? You really thought that, like, coming to church without your Bible, you think God's happy with you? What happens is when you walk around with a thing like this all day long, you guys are already afraid of me. Can I tell you what happens? You only cause pain to people. Before long, you're walking around and you're just bumping into people 
hitting them with a piece of wood. Oh, you guys sat up front. You're just going, I'm not going to hit his knee. Hit you though. You have the realization that every time you look at someone new and you have something to comment on about them, can you believe they raised their kids that way? Can you believe he chose that major for school? Can you, look, he's terrified right now. (laughs) You can only do one thing if you live with power that you are not supposed to wield and judge people self-righteously. You can only cause pain. Some of you, this now makes sense why your kids won't talk to you anymore. What you have done is swung around a massive stud at them. They have heard every critical thing you think. They have heard every insulting thought you have about them. And yet, you find yourself going, I just don't know why, I just don't know why they won't talk to me. I don't know why the prodigal son of mine won't come home. Well, you haven't just said words to them. You've hurt them. Some of you don't understand why your marriages are having a hard time. But every conversation you have with one another, you don't hear words. It's just a bunch of beams swinging around. You're teeing off on one another. Every conversation can't help but turn into conflict. Because when you talk, it's not about solving problems. You just have a lot of problems you want to talk about the other person. Some of you don't understand why you can't move up the ladder at work. But when there's criticism to be said, you know all the right things to say. If only my boss would just, if only my coworkers could just pick up the slack, if only they were a little bit more like me. See, the point that Jesus is making with this metaphor is that while you're noticing the small thing that's dysfunctional and off in someone else, You are swinging around a weapon at them, and you can only cause one thing. It's pain. You think that you're like defending the culture and helping prop up what needs to be propped up. You're standing for good moral values, but all people hear is judgment. You think you're defending the church. Can I tell you something about the church? The church doesn't need to be defended. Jesus already said the gates of hell won't prevail on it. We can move on. Can I tell you something else? You guys might be shocked by this. Jesus himself doesn't need your defense. Jesus doesn't need you walking around swinging a two by four at people because they don't think the way that you do. He just doesn't need it. Jesus is so, Jesus is so concerned with self-righteousness and judgment because when we wield it poorly, we end up causing pain to the very people that we are trying to help. That's Jesus's point. Jesus's point is not that you shouldn't say something. Jesus's point is all about how we say something. Jesus says, notice, there's sawdust in someone's eye. He doesn't say that everyone else is getting it right and the Christians are wrong. Jesus says, someone else has something in their eye. What you are doing is disproportionate to what they are getting wrong. You're swinging a two by four, they have sawdust. What would you have to do to remove sawdust from someone's eye? Any thoughts? 
you'd probably have to be super delicate, right? You'd probably have to put gloves on. You'd probably, before you even did that, you'd probably have to wash your hands, make sure your hands are clean. You'd have to find some tool beyond a pair of tweezers or like your kid's toy tweezers to get like there is something out of them. You know what you would ultimately probably just have to do? Is put their eye under a faucet and let cool water run over it. I may stretch the metaphor a little bit here. I don't think it's like random that Jesus refers to himself as what? Living water. Something cool, something refreshing that can wash over the places that we all need to be washed over. He doesn't call himself a two by four that you picked up from Lowe's on a Saturday night. A little too much information. He calls himself living water. He says, the whole point is, Jesus can deal with the judgment that you need to cast. Jesus can handle it. The last thing I want to tell you, if there's one reason that Jesus warns against us living judgmentally, maybe above any other, and it's just common sense. You guys ready for this? I'm going to blow your mind. You ready? Your judgment just might be wrong. Some of you are like, me? Wrong? Your judgment just might be wrong. I think about just this past week, Monday morning, I was having one of those awful mornings. Like everything that could go wrong from the moment you open your eyes is going wrong. I find myself, I'm dropping my kid off at 8.30 in the morning, and I notice across from his school, there's a Chick-fil-A. I'm like, you know what? I'm stressed. Let's eat some Chick-fil-A. Um, so I drive across the street. There's no one in line. I'm like, man, my day is turning around. Yes, favor from the Lord. I notice it's one of those double drive throughs In the other drive through there is a gray Subaru. I hope this person doesn't go to church here today. That'd be really funny. Gray Subaru. And the Subaru orders before me, pulls up, and I'm like, man, this is going to go so quick. I'm going to be home. It's going to be great. I get behind him, and no lie, five minutes have gone by. He's, given, he's, been, he's received his food and his drinks. There's two. I notice, right? I start in observation mode. I notice he's got his food. I notice there are two young girls talking to him. And all I'm thinking is, man, this is not the time to, like, run game and try to pick up girls. This, it's 8.30 in the morning. It is Chick-fil-A. This is not the move. Like, I don't know who taught you how to talk to women, but this is not it. And the conversation keeps going. They're, like, giggling. So now I'm judging them. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys are falling for this. This is unbelievable. I'm like, who talks to someone at 8.30 in the morning this long? And it dawns on me, someone who's on drugs probably talks to someone at 8.30 in the morning. Immediately, I'm like, I'm, I'm evaluating this whole person's life. He's clearly on drugs. I'm, I'm looking at all the bumper stickers on the back. I'm like, oh, he's a hiker? For sure a drug addict. For sure irresponsible. Not pay, doesn't care about anyone. He doesn't even know that I'm back here. The audacity of this person. And then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This person was probably born and raised in Colorado. They don't have respect for anyone outside of Colorado. He doesn't know I'm not from Colorado, but I've created a whole story and narrative and full judgment. By the time I pull up, I hate this person. I'm, I'm done with him. I hope, I don't know what I hope happens to him. Nothing like really bad, but I just like, I don't know, hits a curb on the way out or something. I'm furious. I pull up. 
I look at the girl in the drive-thru, who I'm also annoyed with. I'm like, this, have higher standards than him. What are you doing? And she goes, how's your morning going? I go, fine. And I go, I'm so, I apologize for him. I go, I'm so sorry that he talked to you for so long. She goes, oh, no, it's okay. Um, he was actually paying for your breakfast. And I just start laughing. <laughs> I go, that guy? She goes, yeah, that guy. I go, okay, cool. Um, so I don't have to pay, pay you for anything? She goes, no. Um, I go, do you want me to pay for the car behind me? Is that like the move here? And she was like, honestly, it makes our lives harder. And I was like, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> and I leave. And as I'm driving, I just think to myself, what am I preaching on this weekend? <laughs> Judgment, self-righteousness. Yeah, this sounds about right. My point is simply this. The reason Jesus warns against self-righteous judgment is that we are often wrong. We are often not spot on with our evaluations. I know for some of you that is really challenging because some of you have even have the gift of discernment. And so every time you have a conversation with someone, you're evaluating character. You're sorting out the good from the bad. You're watching people. Even those of you who God has given the gift of discernment, you are not always right. And what Jesus does for us by saying, hey, you're not always right, is he is trying to allow us to live humbly. To say, Jesus, I don't need to be right. I don't need to have an accurate evaluation of this person because my judgment at the end of the day is not changing what is going on with them. Jesus is simply saying to us, you do not need to hold judgment because you are not always right. As we get ready to close here in just a moment, um, there's something that we need to notice about what Jesus says here in this text that is often missed or misinterpreted because it actually requires us to go back and read some other verses. Jesus, just a few verses earlier, said this. He said, why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then he says these words. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagan run, pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own, of its own. He then ends this little section of scripture, the one we've been spending the most of our time with, and he says these words, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think what Jesus wants us to get sort of as the overarching idea that he's presenting here is simply this. That refusing to live judgmentally is part of entrusting all of our lives to God. Jesus, just a few sentences earlier, right? We think about the, text, the Bible as this text where there's like verses and separated. But you got to think, this is one running conversation for Jesus, one running dialogue. Just a few seconds earlier, he says, don't worry 
about your clothes, what you will wear, what you will eat, where you will sleep. Because God is worth trusting with those things. He can take care of you. So Jesus says, when it comes to the stuff that you have, your life, your well-being, trust God with it. And then he says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. What in the world is he getting at? In Jerusalem, much like there are now in many countries that you can go visit, there were dogs everywhere. Dogs that would line the street and lay around. And these dogs were completely homeless. And these dogs had become uh, scavenger dogs. So they had to look for their own food. And what began to be true about these dogs that became just sort of common knowledge in, in the world in which Jesus lived was that these dogs would sit on the side of the road and snarl and growl, show their teeth at you, bark at you, look like they were ready to attack you. And do you know what these dogs didn't differentiate between? They didn't look at the people who were bringing them food and all of a sudden smile and lick their hands. They looked at the people who were bringing them food the same way they looked at the people who were just passing by. Whether you were bringing them food or you were just walking by, these dogs growled, snarled, and turned their face at you. I think Jesus is presenting this idea that even there are moments where our judgment is an attempt to bring something good to someone, they're actually not ready for it in that moment anyways. So when you bring food to the dog who has its nose turned up at you, whose teeth are showing, who's ready to bite your hand off, it doesn't matter if you are bringing a ribeye steak. They're still ready to take your hand off. And then he says, don't throw pearls to pigs. I don't know if any of you have like a set of pearls in this room or, or your family has had one that's been passed down, but pearls are valuable things. They're beautiful things. They're lovely. They have value. And if you were to throw a pearl at a pig, nothing would happen. It would have no care for what it was. It wouldn't look at it and think, wow, this is a pearl. I'm so thankful this person has given this to me. It would be trash to them. The ultimate thing that Jesus is getting at here is that if you can trust Jesus with your life, your clothes, your well-being, you can also trust him with the well-being of others. You don't need to throw pearls to pigs. You don't need to throw food to people who are not going to receive it. You don't need to bring your criticisms and your judgments as if God is not planning on dealing with people anyways. Can I tell you what that releases us to? It's freedom. It's rest. Some of you have been God's police for far too long, and he is letting you resign today. Some of you have been marching around, holding all the verdicts for all of us about what is good, what is right, what is noble. And Jesus is saying, you can take a day off today. You don't need to hold it. It doesn't mean you eliminate your morals. It doesn't mean you eliminate what is ethically good and right. You live the way that you need to live. But God is not looking for us to be the morality police. He's looking for us to be people who go, God, I trust you with my life. Therefore, I can entrust you with their life. Would you stand this morning? As we prepare to come to the table, the invitation for us is that we can approach this without any burdens, without any baggage, without going, God, they just don't understand. They need some. It's okay. It's okay. Have I not taken care of you? 
Have I not spoken to you? Do you think I won't speak to them? You can rest knowing that God, the same God who has died and risen again for your salvation, is dying and resurrecting over and over again for the salvation and goodness and well-being of all of humanity. Friends, as we begin to approach the table, we think about the night that Jesus was betrayed and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he gave it with no prerequisite. He gave it with no judgment attached to it. He didn't say, I'm giving this to you, but I really want you to know all the things you've done to get me here. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat, would you eat in remembrance of me? And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, a covenant is a promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will not pour down judgment upon your lives without attempting to save you. This cup is the new covenant in his blood shed for you. Every time you drink, would you do it in remembrance of me? Friends, we're gonna come to the table here in a moment. Each section is gonna filter into the center aisle. Our communion servers, you guys can go ahead and come up front now. They'll be down front. They'll have a gluten-free cracker. They'll serve it to you. You can then take that cracker and dip it in the juice. Take it back to the seat, to your seat with you and your family. Sit in a moment, pray. And I wanna give you the invitation. Are there people in your life that you have judged poorly and wrongly that you need to reconcile with? That you need to just honestly say, my judgment was wrong, my judgment was misplaced and I didn't need it. Let me pray over you this morning and then we'll come forward. Father God, we are thankful that you are not the kind of God, for whatever reason, who has judged us for the places we have messed up. That you are holy and powerful, and you could wield judgment to smite us, and yet what you do is you work to form us to look more like Jesus. What a gift that is, God that we deserve all sorts of things. And yet in your grace and mercy, you have withheld those things and given us Jesus who steps down with humanity and is not judgmental, is not self-righteous, is not critical, but is loving and convicting and challenging us to walk closer to you. So would that be true today that as we approach the table, we would be reminded of the freedom you have given us and of the judgment that you have not poured out on us, that in its place you have poured out grace upon grace upon grace over us. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, come forward to receive communion.